0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, if at all possible, find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. It's time for an overall. Let's do it. <laughs> Glad to be back with you one more time from the vaunted and highly respected Aurora Media Studios. A little later start this morning. I've been up for a quite a while, but working on some other projects I'm like, oh yeah, it's time to do the podcast. And I can't even really begin to describe in accurate words how much I enjoy doing this. You know, there's, this is like a, an anchor spot for me. Every Saturday morning, it reminds me a little bit of getting up early when I was a kid, except I was getting up to watch Johnny Quest at Zero Dark Thirty and not to do uh, this podcast thing, which didn't even exist back then. We all know that. And but the, but the ability to get up and to talk to the world, I gotta tell you, it never loses its moment for me. I don't know where people are listening. I mean, I, I get feedback from literally all over planet Earth. When somebody in Australia, <laughs> you know, says, G'day, John. That was a great show and it was something i did two years ago that you know this thing is all over the internet and it's this this big splash that i get to do every saturday morning so in the stead of not doing a regular radio shift anymore i don't know if that'll come back around again or not i feel somewhat obligated to do this I've, i'm obligated obviously and uh to the people who subscribe and support the show so thank you very much if you haven't done that yet i don't know why you haven't you know I, it's 20 bucks a month to, to be a subscriber to the show and it goes directly to your inbox you click play and there it is. And I have people that mail checks in to do it. Uh, most people it comes out uh, you know I right run out of their, their credit card, whatever and I try to make some equations with that meaning you know I think yesterday I spent like 40 bucks for dinner at a drive-through you know so this is 20 for the whole month. you get five shows goes right to your inbox and there you go. And in full disclosure though, It is a PBS-type NPR-ish model, meaning that most of the people listen do not support this financially. And the people that do know that, and they still support it because they get value out of what happens here on Saturday. So if you're so inclined, and even if you're not so inclined, um, you can go to the uh, Life 2.0 page where this emanates from, and you can click Become a Subscriber, and you know what? It floats the boat. So thanks very much for doing that. And a special shout-out To those people who've been supporting and subscribing to this for going on, well, it's over five years now. And the average podcast, because I produce podcasts for companies and clients, the average podcast lasts six episodes. I lost count long ago of how many episodes of this little iteration of mine uh, has, has racked up over the last five years. And then add to that all the radio I've done so you can forget about it. The one thing that I always think about when I come in here to sit down and do this is I want to have something of value, right? I mean, it would be easy, really easy. I mean, I could go do it, and I could go click over to uh, Yahoo or CNN or MSNBC or Fox. You just name any one of them. And I could just go down the laundry list of shit that's going on in the world and make commentary, and get people all worked up and riled up, and then say, Have a good day. I'm not doing that. You know, when I was on radio, I had to do some of that. I never really liked that at all because you have to be topical and people want to voice their opinion. And when you're doing that, it has a place, you know, radio, different than podcasting to some degree for me, but radio is about an audience, right? A listener base. And that listener base determines how much you can sell radio for. And every quarter hour, those are measured, different ways of measuring how many people are listening. I can tell you, since I started radio in 1990 none of your business, that uh, that has changed so dramatically because of podcasting and all these streaming services. So the old school brick and mortar, which we're going to get to for most of this show, brick and mortar concept, um, those days are still there, but they're very faint. and They're in the background a little bit. So for example, I was on WGN radio here in Chicago for two years in rotation, and depending on what era, you were listening to WGN. They were number one for a very long time. And then WBBM comes along and they're number one now because they do news and traffic and weather. And what are the three things that people really want to talk about or listen to? News, traffic, and weather. And it's important. You know, I, We drive into the city three days a week and I got to know what the time travel times are. So I listen to that. So the more listeners you have, the more you can charge for advertising. Of course, it's a profit game and that's how that works. Podcasting is very different because I don't know who's listening, or you know, if I only base off the subscribers, that's just one piece of how this thing works. If I look at the incoming, you know, text messages, mail, uh, comments, and things, it's a very different picture. So, in all of that, uh, again, my thanks for um, you know subscribing and supporting the show, but more importantly, it was very difficult sometimes to get things of value or at least that I thought had value across on, say, WGN, for example. So if I was sitting in from uh, 9 to noon, I had three hours to fill. But if you take out the breaks of, for the news, you know that cuts it down. And then you take out the commercial breaks, and that cuts it down. So maybe in, a, in an hour, the real time was maybe 50 minutes. And that's still a lot of time, but those get broken down into segments as well. And if you're doing live radio, there is zero net. So while I don't always agree with what I hear on the radio, if you know your audience, you know, you have to play to that and, and to keep that and retain that audience so you can make money. I mean, it's just the way that works. And I didn't have the opportunity all the time to veer off into the things that I talk about here. First of all, I couldn't say shit on WGN. You know, there'd be a shitstorm if I said shit and the FCC would it be a big deal. Of all the years I've been on the radio, I've actually heard only one of my guests say shit live. Uh, nothing ever came out of it, but it was interesting. And I don't remember her name. She was the wife of the guy that started Habitat for Humanity. Christian people, wonderful human beings, Habitat for Humanity, of course, championed by uh, uh, former President Carter and his his lovely wife, Rosalind, who has now entered hospice. And we're, you know, hoping for a a nice smooth transition for both of them. I would not be surprised at all if they kind of made their exit about the same time. A couple together that long wouldn't surprise me at all. But anyway, she was um, she was this guy's wife. And we had her on the show when I was in Michigan, probably talking about Habitat for Humanity, go figure. And at one point she was talking about something going on. And she says, well, you know, John, it's just like the bumper sticker says. And I'm thinking she's gonna say, you know, Jesus loves you or something along those lines. And what I got was, shit happens. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I may have the tape somewhere, but I my jaw dropped a little. Wait, wait, what? You, and I said, you can't say that on radio. She's like, you can't say shit? <laughs> so out of that, uh, nothing happened, like I said, from the FCC. It, it, that's fine. But I, I talked to her afterwards. I said, you can't, you know, and it, and it was an innocent mistake. So uh, in... in um, an apology. She sent me a pecan pie that she made herself. FedEx. Do you know what it looked like when it left Atlanta as opposed to what it looked like when it got to me in Michigan? It was a little bit different. It tasted really good, but it basically looked like an elephant sat on it. But anyway, so I have much more leeway here to say whatever the F I want. Even to see that, I stopped myself. And so my salty language and coarse uh Delivery sometimes may put people off, but this is who I am. And in radio, so much of what you hear is not who those people really are. Hate to break your bubble. If money can be made and you can put on a, an act, so to speak, or be an entertainer, that's usually how it's passed off. So take the late Rush Limbaugh, for example. Um, when he was at conferences, and I'd met him a few times at these radio things, uh, he was very different among his peers. Now, he was worth more than all of us put together, but the point was is that he didn't have to have an act there. You get behind a microphone and you take a guy like that who's a, an entertainer, so to speak, and they're able to uh, morph into something that they may not totally be for the sake of show business. And they make a lot of money doing it. And I, I always find it so interesting. You know, I, I was with a group of friends last night, and they were talking about the news and you know, swooning over some of the news anchors and stuff. And I've been in this business, you know, 30 years. And I don't see it that way, obviously, because I'm on the inside. But I realize if the people are swooning over the news anchors, then the news anchors are doing their job. And that's the whole deal. But it gives me leeway to get on and talk about whatever I want. And the things that matter most to me, I think, are the things I hear the least about on the radio for a lot of reasons. Time constraints, all that stuff that goes into that. It is not... Built for long term, long form conversation. You know, there's no commercials in this show. And the reason there isn't is because people subscribe to it. I don't have to find sponsors. I could, but I don't, that's the trade off, right? But if I'm on WGN, I know that every, you know, 12 minutes or whatever, there's either a news break or a commercial break coming up. And those people, of course, float the boat. They're the ones that keep things going. So here it's straight through and it's, far more freeing for me to come in here on a Saturday morning uh, and, and sit down and flip on this microphone and say, what can we find together that has value for both of us? And I hope that's the case. I mean, it's obviously people have been listening for a long time. I really appreciate that, but I never want to take this microphone for granted. I was out to, uh, to lunch this past week with a great, great guy named Fred Weintraub, who uh, is a longtime producer in television and things. We were kind of comparing notes. Uh, about radio versus TV, and I want nothing to do with television. It's way too much work, in my opinion. And his opinion was the opposite. How do you just sit down with no script and put the whole thing on your back and just go off? You know, so it's, 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 that's what it is. We both see things a little bit different, even though we're, these mediums are, are definitely connected on some level. Listen, my third year in radio was at Charter Communications, an up and coming communications company back then. This has got to be. 99, 2000, somewhere in there. And they had the idea to put a camera in my radio studio. And I thought to myself, who the hell is going to watch a guy on the radio on their television set? Why would you do that? I mean, I'm on the radio. You can turn the dial on and there I am. But they want to put this camera. And I said, fine. And they said, well, here's the deal. We'll split the revenue, but we'll sell it. Works for me. I don't know who the hell is going to watch, but sure, let's give it a try. I was wrong. As soon as they flipped the switch on this thing, uh, it took a little bit of time to to gain traction. But what happened that I didn't expect was it put me in 80 markets on television that I did not reach in radio. So all of a sudden, between three and six o'clock in the afternoon, there I was on everybody's television sets in, in, in a much larger area. And sure enough, they sat there and watched me on their television talk on the radio fascinating fascinating but that's just how things shift and change so podcasting really is just an expansion of all that right so how the the mail gets delivered you know I'm very cognizant of the fact that I can't make you connect with anything I say here or or implement it in your lives or take a look at it or see what I'm being offered here as something that can you know pertain to you but my job is to deliver the mail not read it so I'm reading my own mail over here. Like, okay, this is what I'm experiencing and maybe there are things we have in common that my experiences may help you in yours. And so the theme that has come back time and time again this week is this concept of brick and mortar. I also call it the glue, but we're gonna use mortar and brick because that's what most people know. Now, when you think of a brick and mortar store, that's the physical store, right? Is physically brick store and the mortar holds all those bricks together. And these days of online shopping, you know, has changed and become a challenge for those brick and mortar stores, even though they're making somewhat a comeback. You know, I like to think about it as we do with vinyl records. There was a time when vinyl records became obsolete. First of all, they were everything and everywhere for decades. And then with the advent of new technology, they went away. And all of a sudden, they're starting to come back again. So you can walk into some stores, and there's a whole vinyl record section again. When they were they were gone, they were dinosaurs. They were extinct. They were out of here. I think brick and mortars like that. You know, you can. For me, there's a convenience factor, no doubt. You know, you can you can go online and click something, and it's here in four hours if you if it's a certain product or item through Amazon. Uh, not a fan of Amazon, but that's an example. But people kind of getting tired of that a little bit. So as the holiday season starts to roll around, you're starting to hear more rumblings about going back to brick and mortar, that people want to be among, and I think maybe the pandemic had a lot to do with it, but they want to come back and get out and be part of the experience again. So that's obviously the brick and mortar part that we know in the physical. But as with all things in my life, somehow at some point it gets transposed into how does this apply to me? And over the past year, I've been to four or five reunions and they're from different times in my life when I was a different guy. I mean, I'm, I think I just have parts of me floating around all over the world. And every time I go to the, one of these reunions and I see people that meant something to me with a shared experience we had at that time. I get to go there for a little while and remember that guy and remember the friends, the friends that I'm with and kind of pull that together and say, yeah, I remember when this was really, really important, when these other things didn't even exist. So, for example, and, and I appreciate uh, the comments on the, the couple of shows I've done with my Coast Guard buddies, you know, we're all in our 50s and 60s and some are in our 70s and to go back together after decades of not having any contact whatsoever, first of all, fascinates the F out of me. And secondly, we all needed it for whatever reason. I mean, we, we would all have our own reasons, but there's something there. So the brick part of it was the physical station we were at, you know, and we were all at different stations at different places at different time. But the one common brick we had was the Coast Guard Air Station Chicago at the former NAS Glenview Naval Air Station, Glenview, uh, base that, Exists, but it's very different. Almost all the landmarks are gone. The base was, you know, flattened out, and became housing. After decades of work and service to the country, and airplanes, and helicopters, and troops, and the whole thing, so to go back and spend time with these folks took all of us back to this sweet spot of like 1980 to 84. And I always talk about on this show about the importance of perspective. So. If I, we go back to that time in my own life from 1980 to 84, none of what I could you know have experienced the last, you know, 40 years existed at that point yet. So all I can go back and have my reference points back then. And the clarity that comes to me from that is profound. Ronald Reagan was president. Inflation was through the roof coming out of the 70s, the, the oil embargoes and all the stuff of the 70s that went on. I remember at least two out of the four years I was there that we waited at midnight to see if they were closing our base because the funding for the military was so bad. And if I didn't have gate guard duty, sometimes I was on the radio or the comms duty, and the comms guy had to go up every two or three hours, I can't remember what it was, and check what was coming in across the teletype machine. And I had to wait up in the comms, office, in the, in the main office up there, and uh, operations, and wait and see if we were open the next day, if we were on the hit list. And it was an early indicator of me that, you know, not everything goes the way you want it to go. We were having a great time, but this was way out of our control. All the um, budgets and Congress and Reagan and all this kind of stuff, and they kept the base open. Uh, but when you have those experiences, we all talk about and we all remember that time. And the mortar that holds us together all these decades, even though some of it is unseen and unspoken for a very long time, it's almost like a, the, the elixir of life to me. Same thing with the guys I played semi-pro football with or high school football with, you know? And and, and it, it, last night we had a, a meeting. We, we do this a big event every year for my high school called the Bulldog Bash. And we have not done it for a year. It's, it'll be about 18 months since we did it the last time. We did it nine years straight, basically. One year we did two, we had so much damn fun. And so this will be our 10th one coming up next March. And the team that puts this together, we have not been in the same room for well over a year to plan this out. Now, some of it is kind of plug and play. We've done this so many times. We know what we're going to do and where it's going to be. And we got to figure out some costs and stuff. But a lot of that stuff is just, you know, plug and play. The conversation, however, wasn't about the plug and play business stuff for the most part. It was about our experience back at high school. And we're all in our mid-60s except for one of us who's probably, she's in her late 50s, I would think. So that conversation is what binds us together that allows us and prompts us to do this every year. Is it a lot of work? It's effort, I don't know that it's work. Work to me is like running a jackhammer all day. So there's a lot of effort behind the thing, but the money raised helps kids we'll never know. We feel that this is our way to pay back and pay it forward at the same time for something we, we found value in. The brick was the, the building and the programs and the teachers that we were with and, you know, and the courses we took. The mortar is that feeling that, that holds all that together. And this past week, I've had three or four conversations with people where this concept came up and I'm like, well that's definitely gonna be on the podcast this weekend because it's those binding material experiences that allow people to go their separate ways for a very, very long time sometimes, and then come back together as if it was moments ago that we saw each other, or the day before. The Coast Guard thing was a perfect example. We were all meeting at an airport north of Chicago, and Coast Guard Air Station Detroit had gotten wind of this reunion that we're doing. CEO of uh, Seagas Detroit, Commander Christian Poliak, he had reached out to me and said, "Hey." Would you like to see one of our new helicopters? Well, yeah. So he brought a crew of two over. They flew over that day to meet us over there. And to watch this helicopter fly in and land, of course, the hair in the back of my neck stood up because I've seen it before and been part of that a little bit. And then there's the other piece where as everybody walked in, it was 1983 again. I mean, a time machine. Now, of course, we all look different. There's no question but we also agreed that we all see each other the way we were back then, that it's some sort of blind spot that makes this all work. And I think for me, as technology has pushed us together, but also apart, that the concept of brick and mortar has taken on much deeper meaning. That these people I've connected with in the past and continue to connect with in the present, and hopefully will do in the future, They're the things that life is really made up of. You know, life's a blank slate. It's nothing. You get to decide what it means or it doesn't mean. I know people that have lost their job and, you know, went into a drinking binge for two years. I know people who lost their job and built mini empires. So it's really all how you see it and what you choose to do with that. And as I always say, it's not what happens. It's what you do about it that matters. Respond or react. You know, there's a little nuance there. And so these things in our life, the mortar that holds us together, I have always felt, and especially after the conversations this week, they are sacred. And I mentioned earlier about uh, having lunch with Fred Weintraub and the great conversation we had. It came up in conversation. I said, you know, I ascribe to the thing that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers of all people, said that I thought was so profound. Fred Rogers says that he holds the space between the camera and his viewers as sacred and he treats it as such, that they're, he's being invited into their lives. I feel the same way about this microphone I'm sitting in front of right here with my coffee on, on the side of the desk and the sun rising. I don't know where you're listening. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you're at. Don't know where you're going, and you may not either. But I do know this, that if you take the time to dig back on the path that you've been on. And you look for the bricks and the mortars and you see how those things connect. And you may have to go back to that time and relive it again. You know, sometimes if you don't figure it out, life will send you back for a refresher course to see it again. And I tell my kids this all the time, you know, you go through stuff and it, it repeats itself in a lifetime, many times Some often. The characters just change and the scenarios change, but the, the lessons, the mortar, the experiences, those are usually the same. And there's something about squeezing that out that makes life what life's all about, for me. You know, I'm sitting here, as I said, in my studio, and and I get the biggest kick out of doing this, and I'm looking over uh, at this gold glove from 1967 that my friend Randy Hundley from the Chicago Cubs was awarded for being the best catcher in the National League that year. Now, Randy's now 81 years old. And I have this sitting here. It is a monument and a testament to his being the Iron Man of the Chicago Cubs. Hence the name of the book. If you haven't bought it yet, easy to do that. You can go to Lulu L U L U dot com and you can order a copy. They're 20 bucks plus shipping. And I'm sitting here with that on my right. And over on my left side on the on the wall here, I have this huge billboard of the cover of the book. And in between those two things, I'm sitting in the middle. So on my right is this glove that's from 1967. I was nine years old when he won this. I don't know how in the world that the Connected Dots lined up for me to be the guy that wrote the book with and for him. I do not could tell you. Not supposed to know. I'm looking on my left here, and here's the finished product. In the middle, there I am. And then I go all the little nuances, the Connected Dots, the ins and outs, that put us in each other's orbit over decades for this to take place. My knowing is, is that if any of those have been off base or off kilter or off purpose, this doesn't happen. So there's something about saying yes to the, to the mortar of life that allows the bricks to be built. And so these physical manifestations of that stuff that seems so undefinable is I believe what propels us forward. You know, I have friends of mine that are working on incredible projects and doing amazing things in the world. They don't make the headlines but they're definitely lifelines. And so as you go about your business, whether you're in the physical at the brick and mortar out there and you're going to a store, that's the physical part. Just understand that the mortar are the thoughts and the actions that those are the things that allowed it to be built in the first place. Everything in my studio was a thought at some point first, all of it, even this show, right? So, I was given orders back in 1997 go on the radio. It was clear as a bell in my head. I haven't stopped. No one told me to stop. So everything has come from that. It was un, you know, it was unseen, but I heard it clearly. And you move off that. And so for me, those are the things that drive us. And they become sacred over time. And that's kind of all I got today, except for this. Yesterday would have been Gordon Lightfoot's 85th birthday. He passed away last May, I think it was May 1st, and um, iconic singer-songwriter, probably the best-known Canadian export since Moosehead Beer, in my opinion. And anytime a guy can walk out, or a gal can walk out with a 12-string guitar and do the things that he did, uh, they should not be forgotten. So here's a short uh, little live performance from Gordon, one of my favorite songs, Carefree Highway. Uh, it was written because he was on a stretch of highway in Arizona. It was called Carefree, Arizona. And um, he wrote the song and uh, it became number one in 1974. And whenever I hear it now, I think about where are those places that we can kind of just slip away just for a little bit, someplace that's carefree where all the pressures of the world are not sitting upon our shoulders. And keep it in perspective, folks. Shit's going to hit the fan whether you like it or not. The thing is to be behind the fan when the shit hits it, not in front of it. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.
1: Hey, picking up the with the shattered I wonder how to go folks If I recall her face, she lived me a knowing what to do. Every highway let me slip away on you. Every highway, you see better days, more than ever blues from my head down to my shoes. away on you Turning back the pages To the times that are best I wonder if the years Have closed your mind but I guess it must me one That's no trying Away on you, every highway. You've better days the morning after blues. From my head down to my shoes, every highway let me slip away, slip away on you.